You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And this is one of the longer chapters in the Old Testament. So I hope you're ready to stand for a while. You're not laughing very much. I have Nehemiah 7 written on my notes, but we're not going to read all of it. Most, I mean, I can pronounce the names easy, but, you know, I don't think you necessarily can stand that long. So that's why we're going to just skip most of this. But I want to give you the first few verses here and then we'll and then give, give a summary of the rest of it. Nehemiah 7, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed, that I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, every one in his watch and every one to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein and the houses were not builded. And then the heading in my Bible says, the census of the exiles. And I love that title because Nehemiah is going to take a census or make a genealogy like we looked at this morning, make a genealogy of all those that had been in Persia that God had brought back to Jerusalem. And that's, that's this list. It says in verse 5, And my God put into mine heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first and found written therein, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those that had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and came again to Jerusalem and to Judah, everyone unto his city, who came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Rehemiah, Naamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpareth, Bigvi, Nehum, Baana. The number, I say, of the men of the people of Israel was this. And then the list begins. And we could all try to read it together and see how it works out. But I'm going to just trust that you'll read that in your family devotions this week. <laughs> Let your children sound, up, sound out all those names. And, uh, but we're going to, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but that does give us some context as we get into this tonight. And, uh, just the title tonight is restoring strength in God's people, restoring strength in God's people. And I hope it'll be a helpful truth. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we love you. And we are certainly not worthy to open your word. And even in a book like Nehemiah with a genealogy this long, these lists of names, And as we mentioned this morning, it's here for a reason, and it's here for a help to us. And I believe there is help to be found in this chapter. And Lord, I I thank you for giving us the freedom to open your word and to read it and to preach it. 
I pray that you would speak to us this, this evening through it. I pray that you would work in us and do something in our hearts regarding the kind of strength that we have for the work and the importance of the things that will help strengthen us. And God, I pray that you'd just open my, my lips, help my lips to have freedom in my heart to be able to convey the truth this evening. I pray that you bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I'm going to start with uh, a Captain Obvious type statement here. And that 2020 has been a strange year. And I didn't think that I would surprise anybody. But while most of it has been unexpected, one of the things that I've really, um, that I've learned in during the last six months is that love is greater than coronavirus. Yeah. By that, I mean, during coronavirus, we, Eastside Baptist Church, had four couples get married. That solitude was hard on these folks. I mean, they're like, let's get married, okay? Been alone too long. It started with Matt and Sarah, Josh and Mallory, uh, Stephen and Lizette, and Tim and Rachel, all in the last six months. And Brother Chad is like rejoicing. You know, it's eight new people in his class. And, and I, what coronavirus has taught me is that love conquers all. Not even COVID can defeat true love. And amen. One thing about weddings is you spend so much time and energy and blood and sweat and tears and tears and tears and tears, and yet many weddings are over in about 30 minutes or less sometimes. Months of details and planning and drama, and the wedding is over just like that, it seems. I'll for, forever be proud of my first wedding here at Eastside Baptist Church. Matt and Sarah Buffington got married in March. Brother Spencer was supposed to come and couldn't because everything going on. So I got to be involved last minute. And, and Brother Matt said, no message or no charge, no, no music. We don't have any specials or anything, just the vows. Basically, I'll sum it up, just the vows and the kiss, please. That was kind of the, the marching orders I had. And I think it was about 12 minutes total was the length of it. Every time I talk to Brother Roger, it goes down by a minute. I think it was about 10. We're, we're going to get to single digits here pretty soon, you know. Most of it was the kiss, too, just to be honest with you. You weren't here. You don't know. I can just make that up. So, But all those many months of planning, did it seem like it ended pretty quickly? It was just over. The, I mean, the wedding is just over. It, I mean, it's worth it. It's an important occasion, but it might seem strange sometimes or maybe, I mean, a little disappointing sometimes to invest so much in something that's over like that. But what most people don't think about, though, is the most important part of the wedding comes after the ceremony. See, the marriage deserves far more attention than the wedding does, and yet the wedding is often what people spend most of their time preparing for. And yet the marriage after the wedding is going to last much longer. So even though the ceremony ends, the real work is just beginning. You know, we need good, strong weddings, but, but, uh, but we need strong marriages more than we need smooth weddings. See, and that wasn't much different for Nehemiah, honestly, because months of planning and preparation and hoops to jump through and and enemy threats and getting people on board. And then one morning he wakes up and where we're at in our story 
is months, months, literally months for us as well. Months of wall building or months of wall preparation. All of these things he's been focused on for so long. And he wakes up one morning and it's over. The wall is built. The wall is done. But what I appreciate about Nehemiah is the morning that he woke up with the wall finished, he doesn't decide to take a long break. He actually gets to work on what matters even more. It's kind of like, you know, he spent all this time, uh, a bride spending all this time on her wedding, and suddenly it's over, and they wake up the next morning, and they're saying, okay, it's time to get to work, not just on the wedding, but now we've got to get to work on the marriage. Now we've got to focus our attention honestly on what matters most, and that's what Nehemiah does. The walls are done, but listen, the people are not. The walls are finished, but the people are not finished. So he takes his attention and he turns it from the wall building and he turns his attention to the people. If the first six chapters are about restoring walls, the rest of the book of Nehemiah is about restoring people. They need spiritual attention. Many of them, if you think about it, many of these folks, they're exiles. They were raised in a foreign country, in a pagan culture. They'd never seen temple worship. I mean, they, they'd spent months under the threat of attack, and they're weary now from about two months of nonstop work on the wall. So Nehemiah's focus transitions from the physical state of the wall, then now he's focusing on the spiritual state of the people. Amen. And I think it's, it's, my pages are out of order, that would have made it interesting. Strong walls are great, but the spiritual condition of the people matters more. See, and Nehemiah knows that, and it's a good lesson for us to learn too, um, because the physical things at Eastside Baptist Church, they matter, They're, they are important, they make a statement, and we ought to take care of this beautiful building that God has given us, um, but this building doesn't matter much if the condition of the people inside of it are, is not right. Nehemiah knows it, so he focuses on how to strengthen the people, and that's what chapter 7 has to teach us. We're involved in God's work, and the physical parts of the ministry matter. We invest in our building. We make improvements on things around here. Our building reflects the God we meet with, and we want people to know the God we meet with matters to us, and we want to reflect that in the building in which we meet. But we should be just as passionate about investing in people, and, and we try to. An improved building that sits empty isn't accomplishing much. A nice building full of unspiritual people, I don't think that's what God ever intended. I think he'd rather us not have a building than not be spiritual. So Nehemiah turns his attention to the things that will help in the process of no longer restoring walls, but restoring the people. And he gives us, I believe, some good insight into what matters the most in restoring the spiritual lives of people. And you might say he gives us a blueprint on the process of restoring strength in God's people. I loved uh, when, when Ms. Guyman got up and talked about the, uh, the, the definition of revival. And one of the definitions of revival, I was listening for it. It's rebuilding, to rebuild. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about revival in God's people, restoring, not just restoring physical strength, but restoring spiritual strength in God's people. There's some good lessons for us to learn here, and I, I want to go through this blueprint from Nehemiah. And here's, how, here's the blueprint of restoring strength in God's people is first, you make the worship matter. You make worship 
matter. This, and this is a loose definition of worship tonight. For those in Sunday school, you might say, well, you know, you've told us that worship is bowing. I get that. We're, we're using worship in the broad sense of everything that takes place in God's house. And maybe I'm contributing to the confusion of the definition of worship. I apologize for that. But all things pertaining to God's house, that's what I'm using it for tonight. After the doors then, the Bible says, it says, And it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors, and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. Then, he, then So basically he's saying, after the doors were hung, the wall was done. After the doors were hung, that was the last thing. And Nehemiah then, he doesn't take a break. He doesn't, he doesn't go on, on a sabbatical. No, he actually starts putting people in position. Uh, He wasn't going to build the walls and protect the temple and then not jump right into the worship of the temple. So he assigns, he calls porters and, and singers and Levites. The porters, they were the doorkeepers of the temple. They, were, they acted as temple guards, you might say. They were there to guard the entrances and defenses of the temple. And after somebody pulled into our parking lot a few weeks ago, Labor Day weekend, and, and uh, got under the hood of one of our church vans and stole the catalytic converter, and we got to watch it all on the security cameras later, I'm thinking maybe we need some porters at Eastside Baptist Church. We need some temple guards here to, to guard it, especially in the weekends overnight. So if you, if you don't mind not sleeping, I mean, come let me know. We'll put you on a rotation. But these temple guards, they were there to guard the entrances. They were guard, there to watch the defenses of the temple. In this situation, the porters were almost like soldiers. They were protecting against attack from the enemy. Then there were the singers. They were, this is the obvious one. The temple worship was accompanied by music and therefore needed musicians Uh, Then those are the Levites. The Levites, they accompanied the priests in the worship. These men were placed in position both to lead the worship and protect the worship. It was a time of unrest. The temple was being targeted. There, There needed to be those that were willing to protect it at all costs. But these were primarily there for leading of worship. Nehemiah knew that the people's spiritual lives needed organized and meaningful worship. I love the fact that Nehemiah's first steps in in rebuilding or restoring the spiritual strength of God's people is to start looking at the worship again. To not let that fade away. To not let that get into the background. And he says, no, what happens in God's house is vital to the spiritual strength of God's people. We've got to focus on it immediately. So there's an effect that worship has on God's people. Nehemiah made the aspects of God's house a priority. The worship needed to be protected. I mean, and you think about what's happening in churches all around us now, and and honestly, the worship needs to be protected here at Eastside too. We might be tempted at times uh, to follow the trends of the day, but but there is something, there's a way to do it that pleases God, and, and I don't think the entertainment culture is the way to go. The music was to be a priority. He appoints singers. The functions of the temple, they were to be in order. We want, listen, we want our time together to be meaningful and helpful. When we gather together, it needs to be something. And, and you know, I'm not saying that you always anticipate it and you're always excited and you're always up for church. I don't know that anybody's always up for church, but I would hope that when you get here, that you receive something of value. That there's something that you can look at and say, this is helpful, this is valuable. Uh, I'm convinced the more prepared we are for our times in God's house, the more God can move among us. Paul said that things should be done decently and in order. One of the first things that I did as pastor is, is I'm not very good off the cuff, I don't think. And, And so I started printing off these orders of service. 
And, and I don't know that, that that's, and I know some people are like, well, let the Spirit lead, bless God. And I know we, we try to let Him lead as much as He can. But He can also lead in the preparation in the office as I'm thinking about the order just as much as He can in here. And we let Him take over at times if He wants to, but, but we think, I think we should be prepared. Not only that, ministries should be staffed with prepared volunteers. We should have people in place, just like Nehemiah did. We strive to have people in place. To accomplish ministry. I'm not saying we always do it perfectly. I mean, we need work, nursery workers. So, so the focus of our, our, of our services remains on the Lord. We need those involved in the music to be practicing and to be prepared and so they can effectively minister a song. You know, these are things that matter. Worship matters. The time in God's house means something. And the last thing I want to do is for you to come to Eastside and I don't ever want somebody to think, well, that was a waste of time. So we try to prepare, we try to be ready for it. Worship, what Nehemiah teaches us is that worship is essential to the spiritual strengthening and restoration of God's people. This matters, folks. I mean, and and I know sometimes we view certain services as less important, but I mean, I, I put as much effort and time and energy into a message on Wednesday night as I do on Sunday morning. And you should too in your ministries. If it's for God, it all matters. Worship matters. So here's how we're restoring strength in God's people. He starts with the worship. But second, he makes, he, to restore the strength of God's people, that makes spirituality matter. I'll never forget going to Oklahoma State University. I think I've used this illustration before. And walking the halls there um, as a student when I, was on, when I first got on staff um, at Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater, um, I, was, I, I, didn't ha- I wasn't a music major in college, but I was doing music director work. And so my pastor sent me to Oklahoma State to take music classes, so I knew what I was doing. And I'm not sure I still know what I'm doing, but... That was one of the ways that he helped train me. And I remember walking down the hallways there at at OSU and looking on the wall and there were advertisements from church after church after church saying things like organists needed $150 a week or pianists needed or choir members needed or sound technician. I mean, they they were hiring. It didn't matter if you believed like they did. It didn't matter if you were a child of God. It didn't matter if you had any affiliation with the church. They were simply hiring based on on talent. But I happen to believe that but it, when, if we're tr- going to truly look for revival, truly look for rebuilding, um, then spirituality has to matter the most. Character quality has to matter more than anything else. And Nehemiah gives us a good lesson in, in how to choose qualified leaders. It says in verse 2, it says that I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, another man, the ruler of the palace charge over Jerusalem. And he says, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. So Hanani is very likely Nehemiah's brother. We could go back to chapter 1 and we see how his brother came to him uh, in the palace and said, the city of Jerusalem is in disrepair. Things are bad. I, I happen to believe this is the same brother. This is likely him. And so obviously, Hanani also had a heart for God, just like Nehemiah. It really bothered him that Jerusalem was in disrepair like it was. He had a spiritual mindset like his brother. The second man mentioned here is Hananiah. This was a man of great character. It says he was faithful and he feared God above many. These two were given positions of leadership. 
And some believe that it's because that Nehemiah maybe was preparing to go back to Persia and give a report to Artaxerxes, which, I mean, he said that he would back in chapter 2, that he would come and give a report or let him know how things went. Well, now that the wall's built, I imagine Nehemiah being the man that he is, he may be preparing to go back and he needs some people to be in his place in his stead while he goes back to Persia. Whatever the case is, this is good, good lessons. These are good lessons in delegation. Delegation is important. To have somebody, qualified men, that can lead and be in his stead, that's important to Nehemiah. Notice the qualifications mentioned, though. Hananiah was a faithful man, and he feared God above many. Did you notice that Nehemiah didn't say, okay, who has experience in civil work? Who has experience as a mayor, maybe a mayor of a town? Who has experience in government? No, uh, and here's why I don't believe that Nehemiah was looking for men like that. Because Nehemiah himself was doing jobs well outside of his own experience level. He was a cupbearer and he found himself leading a construction crew. He was a cupbearer and he finds himself leading a guard and, and, and possibly, potentially fighting battles. They have, they have, one, they have a, a weapon in one hand and they've got a building material or building tools in the other hand. And so Nehemiah knows that God isn't looking for the most experienced. He's not always looking for the most talented. He's not looking for those that have the most charisma or the best personalities. God very often simply wants to look for those that have faith in him and fear God. He, the spiritual qualifications are the first qualifications. I mean, listen, in God's work, if we're looking to strengthen God's work, these are the things that matter more than experience. And I've seen it before where somebody with great business experience comes in and they're a CEO of a company and they've got lots of experience in this matter or in that business or in these things. And they come in and they assume that that qualifies them to lead in a church setting. But those aren't the most important qualifications. Nehemiah is looking for those that are faithful and those that fear God. Faithfulness matters. Attention to the small things, that matters. And there's, there's one more, uh, one more, let me get to my, I think they're all messed up, but that's okay. This could be really, this is like a choose your ending sermon here tonight. <laughs> if we are asked to fulfill a responsibility, let me just ask about faithfulness. Do we take it seriously enough to, to prepare I mean, be careful. If you teach a class and, and, and you don't spend a lot of time in preparation because your mindset is, well, they're just second graders. Be careful of having that mindset. Faithfulness in the small things is, is just as important as faithfulness in the big things. If, we're, if we have a responsibility, do we prepare for it? And if we can't be there, do we make sure someone is in our place to be there for us? If we, if we have a responsibility, do we get there on time? I mean, are, we live in a culture that is increasingly late, later and later and later for things. Don't be one of those. Be on time. Be early. Early is on time. I mean, I, I truly believe that and I feel strongly about that. Our teachers, I mean, I think we could improve in getting here on time, being there before the class gets here. Let's make sure we're faithful to the small things. If you're in the nursery, be there 15 minutes early or, or whenever Miss Tina asks you to be there, be there and, and don't let somebody else just fill in for you. If you're going to be gone, try to work something out. If you're a greeter, if you're teaching, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I mean, I truly believe the most basic qualification to serve in, a, in God's work is faithfulness. 
What are some good ways to ensure we're found faithful in the work of God? These are helpful for me. These are the kind of things that I try to do. Number one, define your roles. Sometimes it helps me just to sit down and say, what are my roles? Well, my roles are things like I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a son, and I'm a brother. I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm a neighbor, I'm a citizen. So define your roles, okay, and then establish goals. What does it look like for me to be the best pastor I can be? What does it look like for me to be the best husband that I can be? What do I want to accomplish as a father? What do I want to accomplish as a friend? So define your roles, establish goals, start with the small things. Don't assume that you're only being faithful if you're making big strides and taking big steps. No, sometimes the biggest, biggest growth comes in the baby steps. Then finally set up checkpoints. So define your roles, establish goals, start with the small things, and set up checkpoints. Review your roles every once in a while. Review your goals every once in a while. Make sure that consistently that you're meeting those things. Ask somebody to help you with those things. So be faithful. The other trait then listed is fear of God. Not that it was a contest, but Nehemiah knew Hananiah feared God more than most people. He knew that he knew God. And if you know God, you have great respect for God. When you recognize God's holiness and your sinfulness, you fear God. Not fear as as in being afraid, but fear as in being respectful toward God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, folks. Sometimes I think that that we forget just how important the fear of God is to our Christian life, the respect that we have for God. And listen again, not, not fear as in we're afraid of God, but fear as in we respect God. In the same way that if you had a godly dad and you don't fear your dad necessarily for what he might do to you uh, or how he might harm you, you, you respect him enough that it affects how you act when he's not around. It did that for me and maybe many of you as well. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear or respect of God, that's where our relationship with God begins. Nehemiah picked two spiritual men to lead. That's what we need, folks. We need spiritual leaders. And we have them, and I'm thankful for it, but we need more. It'd be great when it comes time to talk about deacons in our church to have a long list of men to choose from. And it's easy to get caught up in personality or experience or likability, but in the end, that which matters or counts the most in God's work is how spiritual are you? How many men and women at Eastside check those boxes? They're faithful and they fear God. It's a pretty good summary of the kind of qualifications that we need at Eastside Baptist Church. The strength of God's people is dependent on our levels of faithfulness and fear of God. There's another qualification, spiritual qualification listed in verse 3. Look what it says. And I said unto them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. So Nehemiah, here's what Nehemiah is saying. I'm going to call this diligence to watch. So we've got fear, we've got faithfulness, we've got fear of God, and we've got diligence to watch. That's what he's doing. Nehemiah said, he says, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. And you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, this means just don't be careless. Only open the gates at the right times. Open the gate when the sun is high in the sky. 
That way you've got daylight to watch for the enemies. It doesn't make sense, does it, to open the gates when it's dark outside? You don't know who's standing outside the walls and who might come in. So he says, wait till the sun is hot. In other words, wait till there's daylight and then don't do it first thing in the morning. Um, give the, the night owls a chance to wake up and move around a little bit. Some of you night owls in here, you're saying, I, did, I wouldn't mind, you know, the work beginning at about noon. So, I mean, teenagers in here, maybe you're just waking up at that point. Well, this might work for you. He says, don't open the gates till the sun is high in the sky. And, and he's not trying to get them to be lazy. He's trying to get them to be diligent. He's trying to get them to watch. He's saying, wait till there's sun and wait till the people are around and moving because the enemy's coming to get us. So we've got to be careful. Then he says, and while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them. And this was out of the ordinary because in normal times, there was no reason to have the gates closed and locked if there were guards stationed there. But Nehemiah knew this was a time where the enemy was targeting them. So he says, make sure even if the gates are closed, uh, or even if the guards are there, make sure the gates are closed. This is no ordinary time. The enemies are trying to figure out ways to destroy our people when things are worse. You've got to be more, more diligent, don't you? And he gets more detailed. He says, appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. Every man, what he's saying is that every man was responsible to help watch and every man was responsible to protect the area right near his house. And this is a point we made in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah put men on the wall to build it closely to their own homes. If they're thinking about their family, they're more likely to do their best work, aren't they? If I'm guarding the wall near my family, I'm going to be extra guarding the wall. I'm not going to take a nap. I'm not going to look somewhere else. I'm not going to be distracted because my family, our house is right there. So I'm going to, if I'm going to guard right next, there's some good lessons to be learned. We're not going to get into them all here, but the people would be diligent, extra diligent to watch the part of the wall closest to their homes. The truth is, folks, 1 Peter 5, 8, still in the Bible, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And the strength of God's people is dependent on our willingness to be on guard, our diligence to watch. Parents, be diligent about what your children are exposed to. I'm telling you, it's so easy. I mean, uh, let's think about it, parents, what 20 years ago we would have to go somewhere to find and see. If a child gets a, the wrong device in his hands, he could, they could pull something up on the phone right in their hands. I mean, it's, it's amazing what's available now. Husbands and wives, I'm thinking, be diligent about protecting your relationship. We've got it. We've, we need diligence. You know why? Because the devil, the enemy, is, 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 he is coming. And I, I mean, it feels very real right now, doesn't it? Moms and dads, doesn't it feel like the attack is extra, extra strong right now? I and mean, we live in a country that no longer supports our positions. They don't care if we want righteousness. They're trying to get our children to go a different direction. It's everywhere and it's all around us. And, and husbands and wives, you've got to be diligent about your relationship. We're most likely, folks, to be complacent when we're comfortable. We, but we've got to be on guard. I mean, the wall is finished. Don't you think some of the people would have said, oh, Nehemiah. That's just Nehemiah being Nehemiah. They're probably, you know, thinking, oh, come on, the work is done. Can we just have some time? 
Can we just relax for a little bit? But Nehemiah knew that strong people are watchful people. And we, if we're going to remain strong, we've got to remain watchful. We've got to remain on guard. And I'm thinking about Eastside. The strength of Eastside is only as strong as our willingness to be watchful. The enemy wants to get into your home. How on guard are you? Parents, how aware are you of what your children are looking at and watching and listening to? The enemy wants to sneak not just into our homes, but he wants to sneak into our churches. Be on guard against his devices. He wants nothing more than to tear us apart. And we've got to be on guard. Positions of leadership in God's work require those who've got spiritual qualities like these. Faithfulness, the fear of God, and watchfulness. The strength of God's work is dependent on the spirituality of God's people. Let me say that again. The strength of God's work is dependent on the spirituality of God's people. Here's another, and so here's another way to restore strength in God's people. I'm moving quick tonight. This one's important. Make people a priority. You want a strong church? I do. You want a strong church? Then as Eastside Baptist Church, if we want a strong church, then we've got to make people a priority. We've got to make worship a priority, make worship matter. Um, we've got to make spirituality matter. But we also have to make people matter. Look at verse 4. It says, Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. You know what some people might have said? Hey, the people are few. There's not very many people, so it doesn't really matter all that month, much. But look what, look what Nehemiah does. And my God put into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers, the people, that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them, which came up at the first and found written therein. These are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those that had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and came again to Jerusalem and to Judah, everyone unto his own city. So again, my heading says the senses of the exiles. Nehemiah finds a list of everybody that had been carried away into Babylon and now they've come back into Judah. And he he doesn't say, well, the people are few. It doesn't really matter. No, he says, no, every person matters. Every person on this list matters. And I want to know everybody that's living in Jerusalem. I want to make sure that we have a list of every person that's here because he made people a priority. And what we might see as a genealogy here was Nehemiah's way of making sure everybody in Jerusalem knew they mattered. They weren't just a number. They weren't just another name on the list. Every person matters. God put it on his heart to make a list of everybody there. And if we want to strengthen Eastside Baptist Church, then we need to get to the place where people matter. Listen, I I like programs and I like things going on. But if we ever get to the place where we're about programs instead of people, then we have lost our balance. One commentator pointed out three groups of people that obviously matter to God. And I'm just going to use his thought flow here because I think it's great. He says every person, according to this list, every person matters to God. Listen, these names don't mean anything to us. But aren't you thankful that each name on this list matters to God? Aren't you thankful that every person on this list, whether or not you can say their name, every person on this list, God knew who they were. And Nehemiah was trying to know who they were. Every person matters. Listen, I'm glad that Jesus knows them that are his, according to Nahum. I'm glad that he knows his sheep, 
according to John chapter 10. And listen, I don't always remember everybody's names, and I wish that I could, and I've embarrassed myself more than I care to talk about. But God knows every name. He knows every name on this on Eastside Baptist Church's role. He knows every name on every church role. And I love the song. Maybe you've heard it. I love the song, He Knows My Name. He counts the stars one and all. He knows how much sand is on the shores. He sees every sparrow that falls. He made the mountains and the seas. He's in control of everything, of all creatures great and small. And he knows my name. Every step that I take, every move that I make, every tear that I cry, he knows my name. When I'm overwhelmed by the pain and can't see the light of day, I know I'll be just fine because he knows my name. And a genealogy like Nehemiah 7 is not something, it's like I said this morning, it's not like a flyover state where you just fly over it because it doesn't matter and and you just skip those chapters to get to your Bible reading. No, the fact that there are genealogies in the Bible proves that God knows every person and every person matters to God. He's not some God in heaven who's hands off and doesn't care about people. No, every person matters to God. And if every person matters to God, every person should matter to us. You want to see our church strengthened in a special way? If we could take our focus off of self sometimes and point our attention to other people, I think it revolutionize Eastside Baptist Church. And I'm not saying we're selfish. I'm saying it's human nature. But I do believe we could be better at making every person know they matter to us. When a guest walks in the, in the doors of, of our church, it, they shouldn't get to their pew before somebody says hi to them. We should have somebody out there in the lobby, in the foyer, that, that the first thing they do when they come in is, welcome to Eastside Baptist Church. Can I help you? You've got children. Can I help you know where they go? Um, come and sit by me today. Not only that, um, after church, hey, what are y'all doing after church? Would you like, our family would love to have you come over, or, or our family would love to take you out to eat today. I mean, there should be, that should be the kind of greeting that guests get when they come to Eastside Baptist Church. But honestly, I, I, I can't tell you, there's been a number of times where I'm running to my office and, and to grab something and come back in here, and, and people are walking down the halls and nobody's talked to them yet. I mean, it shouldn't happen. We need every person that walks in this, in this building to know that they matter to God and they matter to us. We should greet them. We should have them sit with us, socially distant. I mean, six feet apart, of course. But let's invite them to, let's invite them to go grab a bite to eat and spend some time with us. You know, there'd be no need for a visitation program if that was our mentality when people walked in our building. Because every person would be covered because people matter to God and people matter to us. If we'd love the lost like they mattered, we wouldn't have room to hold everybody here. If you spent the next year of your life trying to reach as many lost as you could and let them know they matter to God, we'd have to go to two services. I truly believe that. If we loved each other like each other matters more than we matter... The unity of our church would be like we've never seen it before. 
Every person matters. But not just that, according to this list, families matter to God. This long list is broken up into family groups. And you see it's children and children and children and men and men and children and priests later on. But families matter. Family units matter to God. Your family unit matters to God. We had a family come in this morning to Sunday school and I taught a lesson. I thought it went really good. And then they left before church even started. So I'm just thinking, man, I wish I could have done more to let them know their family matters to Eastside. Just to give us a chance to let them know that we want them to be here. We want them, we want God to do work in their hearts. We, we think Eastside is the kind of place that can help a family. That can help a, a new marriage or a young couple or a family with young kids. Brother Chad going through love and respect in the couples class. I mean, that's, that's gold right there. That's helpful stuff. We, we want to be, we want marriage, families and marriages to know that, that we can help them because families matter to God. And if families matter to God, families should matter to us. The, the family unit matters to God and it matters to the strength of a local church. I mean, if we don't have strong families, we don't have a strong church. If God loves the family, Satan is doing everything he can to destroy it. And we're seeing that happen, aren't we? So every person matters to God. Families matter to God. And another one here that seems maybe a little out of place, but if you look down in verse 28, 28, you see this list start. Now the men, the men, the men, the men, the men, the men. Men matter to God. And all of the uh, feminists listening online tonight are like, what is he talking about? No, he lists the families according to the men. And by the way, I don't have any... Any, any thought that a feminist is watching our service tonight, just so you know. This doesn't mean the women and children don't matter. But his design is for men to provide this strength in homes and churches. See, men, you play a special role in God's plan for his kingdom. And ladies, you do too. And children, you do too. Everybody does. But men especially, God is looking for you to step into a leading role. At our church and in in your family. And we need some men to lead their homes as they ought to. We're increasingly becoming a matriarchal society where the ladies have had to step into the roles that the the men have left void. There's a vacuum of leadership. And because the men haven't been what they're supposed to, to do, the ladies are stepping in and filling in. And a lot of people will criticize the ladies for taking too much upon themselves, but there's nobody else to do it because in a lot of churches, the men aren't taking seriously the roles that they have. Men matter to God, and not in the sense that they matter more than the ladies, but they do matter in the sense that they are part of his plan in leading and moving forward, both in homes and in churches. Men, you matter to God. And in a culture that's trying to tear you down and tear down the authority structure that God has put into place, it's time to be the spiritual leader you were meant to be. The strength of your home depends on it. The strength of this church depends on it, men. A strong church is built on people who, who make others a priority. Every person matters, family matters, and men matter. You know, this is dependent, all of, all of this though, and I'm wrapping it up. All of this is dependent on whether or not we want to be strong. All of this is dependent on whether or not we want to rebuild. 
or revived. This is all dependent on how strong we want to be. And I don't know about you, but I want to, I don't, I don't want to be weak or ineffective as a church. I don't want to be weak or ineffective as a family. I don't want to be weak or ineffective as a dad or a husband. And I don't think that you as a mom want to be weak or ineffective in your role. I don't think that the children in this room want to be ineffective in, in the roles that God has to play for them. We're not, we're not content to be weak or ineffective. Most of us want to be strong. We want, we want God to do everything he can here at Eastside. Not only that, our families need a strong Bible-preaching church. Our community needs it for sure. But strength doesn't just happen. Rebuilding doesn't just happen. Restoration and revival don't just happen. We've got to take some steps. And the steps that I see here in Nehemiah 7 is that we need to get back to where worship matters. Where, where our lives, in many ways, our lives are centered around, well, what's going on at the church? Get all in right here. Get all in at Eastside. I mean, if you think this is where God wants you to be, then, uh, then, then get in full, full tilt. I mean, jump in. Let's go. Amen. Be faithful to your ministries. And fear God. Be spiritual. The people in Nehemiah 7, they're all in. They were builders and protectors and worshipers all at the same time. And we need all of those here. You have a role to play here. Make worship matter. Make God's house uh, the central part of your life. And you say, well, I work. Well, I know, but at the end of your life, do you think you'll regret that you didn't work more hours? Or do you think that you might regret that you didn't give more to God in his work in his kingdom? Make worship matter. If you want to be strong, the steps are make worship matter. Make your spiritual life matter. It's not just about what you can do or how much experience you have or what kind of leader you are. And those things matter. But your first qualification to living a life that counts for God is your relationship with God. We talked about that this morning and I don't want to revisit it all. But your walk with God is the most important thing that you'll do this week. So how, is it, how, how was that for you this last week? I mean, on a daily basis, is it consistent How much time are you in God's word? How much time do you spend in prayer? And not just in devotions, I mean in cultivating a relationship with God, a walk with God, where you're on the same page and and your spiritual life above your teaching ability and above your leading ability and above you making money at work and above you and whatever community involvement you've got, your spiritual life is the most important thing to you and you're going to give everything you can to make sure that's first and foremost in your life. And if if something else has to step be placed aside, your walk with God comes first. How has that been lately? How's your spiritual life been as a priority this week? We can't afford to, to do and not be, but it's possible. Who you are matters more than what you can do. So we want to be strong. Well, make worship matter. Make your spiritual life matter. Make people matter. Nehemiah went to great effort to make sure people were listed by name. So I wonder how are we doing at making the individuals know they matter to God? Have we lost sight of the fact that everywhere we go, we are to represent God? Everywhere we go, that we're supposed to let somebody know, they, God loves you. God knows your name. 
In the same way that God knows my name, he knows the person in Walmart, he knows their name. And he knows the person behind the counter at Culver's, he knows their name. Some of you really know the Culver's names too. (laughs) Do we see crowds or do we see souls? That'll spend eternity somewhere. Folks, I think the strength of Eastside Baptist Church rests in these things. Worship, spirituality, and I'm just going to call it love. Our strength is dependent on our love for other people. There's never been a more necessary time for God's people to have strength. And I'm not sure that our situation is much different than Nehemiah's. We're certainly not in a better situation. The enemies are at the gates. And they're ready to take us down and they're ready to get inside the walls. And let's not get content inside these walls. Comfort leads to complacency, but steps like these will lead us to strength. And you know what it's all about. It's in my notes, and she mentioned it. It's revival. It's rebuilding. To take something um, that could be spiritually better and make it strong. Our families and churches need revival. But revival doesn't happen by accident. And I read somebody said this, great movements of God are generally preceded by steps of preparation. Sometimes we get in our idea, an idea in our mind that where well, we were just in the right place at, right, at the right time and revival just broke out. No, normally there's preparation that leads up to it. God wants something great to happen here. I truly believe that. He wants something great to happen in your family. And it all depends on whether or not we're willing to take some necessary steps. You want revival? You want to rebuild? You want to restore that which could be stronger? Make worship matter. Make your spiritual life matter. And make people matter. Let's, let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.